right. Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we take a look back at a crazy wildcard weekend in the National Football League. Plus, Mark Arndt of Tennis Manitoba stops by to preview the Australian Open on the podcast. The NFL wildcard weekend wraps up tonight with Tampa Bay and Dallas. But before we look ahead to that game, we have to look back because the first round of the playoffs... Well, they were incredible. Usually on wildcard weekend, there are a couple decent games and some duds. Usually more duds than awesome games, but not this time. No, baby. What a weekend of action. And we'll get to it all right now in the wildcard NFL recap. Normally, I go in order from dud to brilliant, but since every game was pretty fun, let's just go in chronological order, starting in Santa Clara as the Niners hosted the Seahawks. I said on the show Friday that the Seahawks had no chance, and early on, looked like I was right. Two three and outs for Seattle, 10 points for the Niners. Here comes the blowout, but hold your horses, dude. It's a 60-minute game. Seattle bounces back with a 14-play touchdown drive. Niners get a field goal. Then Geno Smith hits DK Metcalf for a 50-yard score, and Seattle leads... And then San Fran goes three and out. Holy smokes, what's happening? Niners kick another field goal with 13 seconds left in the half, but a crappy squib kick and then a penalty. Seattle gets a 56-yard field goal at the horn, and they lead at halftime. Who saw that coming? San Francisco, though, undisturbed by this development, taking the opening kickoff to the second half and driving it 13 plays after 7 minutes and 45 seconds to take the lead. Seattle, though, looks to get it back. They are driving as well when we get the critical mistake. Third and 14 for the Hawks, the Niners 19. You just got to make sure you at least get some points and Smith fumbles and the Niners recover, and that's really the game. San Fran scores seven plays later. Seattle punts two plays later, a 74-yard catch-and-run touchdown for Debo Samuel, blah, blah, blah. It was fun for three quarters, but San Fran gets by with a 41-23 victory. Brock Purdy remains undefeated. Let's go to Jacksonville as the Jags host the Chargers, and holy mother of God, what a disaster for the home team. Second play of the game, Trevor Lawrence is intercepted. Two plays later, an L.A. touchdown. Now it's fourth and seven for Jacksonville in L.A. territory. They go for it, and Lawrence is intercepted. Yikes. L.A. gets down to the Jags four. Field goal, 10-zip. Teams trade punts before Lawrence is picked for a third time in the quarter. Three plays later, 17-0 Chargers. Jags go three and out. Chargers get another touchdown. It's 24-0, and then Lawrence gets the ball back, and you guessed it, he's intercepted for a fourth time. Third one for Asante Samuel Jr. What is this garbage? At least the Jags force a punt. Ah, God, they muffed it. L.A. recovers inside the 10, held to another field goal. 27-0. So to recap the first quarter and a half, the Jags went pick, pick, three and out, pick, three and out, pick, muff, bunt, three and out to start the game. I mean, we can turn this off, right? There's just no way the Chargers are going to lose this one. All right, now the Jags got a touchdown before half. Cool. Still down 20 at the break. L.A. takes the opening drive to the Jacksonville 38. And then Justin Herbert throws three straight incompletions. And then they punt it 27 yards to the Jags 11. That's bold. Jags then drive down the field for another TD. Takes over seven minutes. L.A. responds with a field goal. So it's a 16-point game. All right. Jags get another touchdown. They go for two and miss. So down 10 after three. That's that's doable. Now, But here come the Chargers. They're down to the Jags 22. A 40-yard field goal to make it a three-possession game. Uh-oh. No good. Chargers are chargering. The Chargers are chargering. Tell your friends the ghost of Nate Kading. 
Still 8.47 to go, though. Jags, well, they have the momentum, and the offense is clicking. And just over three minutes later, it's Lawrence to Christian Kirk to make it a four-point game, pending the extra point. But on the play, defensive end Joey Bosa becomes a toddler. He throws a tantrum. He chucks his helmet. It's a penalty. And Jacksonville says, oh, we're not applying that on the kickoff. Half the distance to the goal. We're going for two from the one. And they get it. So they're down by two. And every Chargers fan knows what's going to happen next. L.A. immediately goes three and out. Jags get the ball back with 3.09 left. They need just a field goal to win it. And they start at their own 21. Now to the 41. To midfield. To the Chargers 41. Third and one incomplete. So fourth and one. They could try a 59-yarder or the win. Ah, uh, let's just QB sneak it. Get the first down. Lawrence under center. Three backs behind him. They're just going to come and shove him, right? Nope. It's a run play to Travis Etienne, who gets the corner. Gains 25 yards. Riley Patterson just needs to hit a 36-yard kick for the win. He does. Jacksonville 31, LA 30 is the final. The third biggest comeback in NFL playoff history. Chargers are just simply going to charge her. The Bills are heavy favorites against the banged-up Dolphins, and boy, you can see why early on. Josh Allen hits Dawson Knox, 7-0. Dolphins third stringer Skylar Thompson is picked. Five plays later, 14-0 Bills. Now 17-0 Buffalo, and I start to zone out because this is going to be a blowout. Miami gets a field goal, which is nice, cool. Three plays later, Josh Allen is picked. Good return leads to a field goal because Miami's offense is nothing. Buffalo three and out. Miami gets a great punt return and another field goal, 17-9. And then Allen is picked again. Finally, the Dolphins are into the end zone. They get the two-point conversion. The game is tied? Huh? Buffalo gets a field goal before half and forces a three and out to start the third. This is where they'll get back on track. Or Allen can get sacked and lose the ball. Miami scoops it up and scores. And the Dolphins take the lead? Impossible. Midway through the third, we're reminded that, yes, the Dolphins QB is very inexperienced. Deep at his own end on third and long. Thompson, back to Bass, throws up a duck into double coverage. It's picked off. Short field. Bills take advantage. And the lead. And that score again. And now they're up by 10. And now the route is on, right? Wait, the Dolphins are driving? Where did this come from? 12 plays, 75 yards, and a touchdown makes it a three-point game with 11 minutes left. And the Bills go three and out, but then so do the Dolphins. And then the Bills punt again. So here we go with the Dolphins. Four and a half minutes left and needing a field goal to tie. But here's the thing with an inexperienced quarterback. It can take a while to get a play call in. The no huddle doesn't work so well. Miami has no timeouts left because they had to dodge delay of game calls. So when it's fourth and one on the Miami 48 with 2.27 to go and the play clock is winding down. Come on, get to the line. What's taking you so long? Oh my God. 40 seconds falls to zero. That's a five-yard penalty for delay of game and they cannot convert on fourth and six. And that's the game. The Bills run up the clock. They survive. They advance. Ah. Time to rip off the Band-Aid. Vikings hosting the Giants in Minnesota does what it usually does. Takes the opening kickoff and drives for a touchdown. Boy, do they look impressive. And then they followed that by doing what they also often do, and that's nothing for a while. Daniel Jones carves up the Vikes' terrible D for a pair of touchdown drives. The Vikings punt a couple times. 14-7 Giants not loving this. New York again on a marathon drive. 21 plays, 10 minutes, 48 seconds for a field goal. So that's... That's better. Minnesota finally wakes up from its nap, drives to make it a three-point game at the half, and Vikings fans have seen this movie all year. Look decent. Suck for a while. Pull it out in the end. They're going to pull it out, right? Giants take the opening drive of the second half, and that's a touchdown, 24-14, but they're still going to pull it off, right? Uh, here we go. Kirk Cousins leads them down the field for the touchdown to make it a three-point game, and hell yeah, the defense gets a stop. Yes, they're going to pull this out. Fourth quarter, this is where they shine, and they're on the move down to the Giants 16. It's fourth and one. Hell yeah, let's go for it. Quarterback sneak, but uh, false start. Uh, they got to kick it. Field goal ties the game. I'm sure that won't come back to haunt them. They'll still pull it out. No, Giants immediately drive down the field with very little resistance. 14-play drive puts them up seven with just under eight minutes left. But they'll still pull it out, right? Three and out. Not great. But the Giants, they're forced to punt. So here we go, Kirk. 2.56 to go. 88 yards to try and tie the game. 
starts with a gain of six. Then a terrible roughing the passer call. I'll take it. Gain of 13. All right, here we go. Incomplete. Gain of two. Incomplete. And uh-oh. Fourth and eight. Season on the line. And Cousins throws to TJ Hawkinson all the way three yards down the field. And he's tackled right away. <sighs> and the Vikings don't pull it out. Their season is over. All season long, they lived by the one-score game. 11-0. and And... It reverts to the meat. It flips the other way. And the Giants win their first playoff game since Eli's second trial over the Patriots. Congratulations. Vikings fans know only pain. And finally, the Bengals and Ravens, who just played a week ago doing battle in Ohio. Joey Burrow against not Lamar Jackson. It's Tyler Huntley. So will we finally get a blowout? 3-0 Bengals after one. TD early in the second makes it 9-0. They miss the extra point. But as you've heard in the recap so far, early leads don't mean jack. Baltimore responds with an 18-play drive that takes over 10 minutes into the end zone, 9-7. Then Cincinnati fumbles. Baltimore gets it. Kicks a field goal. Take the lead at the half. But the Bengals seize control back on their first drive of the second half. 12-play march down the field, capped off by a Burrow quarterback sneak. Two-pointer is good. 17-10 Cincy. But the Ravens respond. Huntley hits to Marcus Robinson wide open. A 41-yard touchdown. And we're tied. Baltimore forces a three and out, and they're marching down the field. Huntley hits Mark Andrews for 25. Next play, he rushes. For 35 yards to the Bengals, too. My God, they're going to take the lead. First and goal, incomplete pass. Second and goal, gain of one. Third and goal. Huntley tries to do that thing where you grab the snap quickly and jump over the pile and reach the ball over the goal line before anyone on the defense can get to it, but the defense got to it and knocked it out. And it falls into the arms of defensive end Sam Hubbard. And the big man is off to the races. He's got a convoy. 98 yards for the touchdown. An unbelievable turn of events. Get that man some oxygen. A seven-point lead for the Bengals. Each team then punts a bunch of times. And so the Ravens, here we go. Good field position. Just over three minutes left at the Bengals 46. They need a touchdown to die. Do they get to the 40, the 38, 37, 33, 28? 117 to go, and they get a gain of 11. But with two timeouts in his pocket, John Harbaugh just watches the clock bleed away. 35 seconds remain when the next snap is made. Incomplete, then a holding penalty. Two more incompletions at fourth and 28 seconds to go. Huntley heaves it to the end zone. It's tipped. It falls to the ground, and a receiver almost gets his hands under it, but he can't quite do it. And Cincinnati survives and advances. I'm out of breath. I need some oxygen. What a weekend of football in the books. We always preview major tennis events on the show with Mark Hart of Tennis Manitoba. Time to disrupt our sleep schedule, set the PVRs, watch a lot of tennis. Gave Mark a call earlier today. He's actually in L.A. right now for his uh, kids' volleyball tournament, so he wasn't able to join us live. But we did record this chat earlier this afternoon. Well, Mark, it's that time of year where we uh, disrupt our sleep schedule and watch the Australian Open. Uh, I know you're not in Winnipeg right now. You will be soon, but how excited are you to get the major tennis season back going again? Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, uh, it just uh, just watching matches from Australia warms you uh, warms you up. Even though Winnipeg weather has been uh, been really good for January, I mean, we can't complain about that. But uh, yeah, it's exciting to see again each um, each year. Each Australian Open brings new hopes and new. Uh, goals and aspirations for all the players. Everybody starts uh, at the beginning of the fin- of the uh, start line. I guess the race starts on its own. Uh, uh, yeah, and it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be so unpredictable. Well, I'll start with the men's draw, and it's a little jarring. It's 2023, and o- Rafael Nadal is the number one seed at the Australian Open. You have to remember that he won last year. He came from two sets down to beat Daniil Medvedev in the final. 
Now, he's been pretty banged up over the last half of 2022. Is yeah. As a one seed, do you think he's a true one seed, or is he pretty vulnerable here physically? No, I think he's vulnerable, and he'll be uh, he'll be the first to tell you. I think. I mean, he's uh, he tells it like it is, and uh, but I mean, his his outlook is you know each each match he wins is a bonus for him, and uh, uh, you know I think he likes it that way as well. Instead of having the uh, the pressure of being a favorite, even though you know it has the number one beside his name, uh, he's looking at it differently. He's looking at it like he's an underdog from what I've I've been reading, and. Uh, uh, who knows? He might be dangerous that way. So uh, it, it, I mean, right now I, you can't really pick who the uh, the true number one is in in the men's or on the women's side. So uh, that's, that's why I like it. It's going to be an interesting Australian Open. As far as the Canadians are concerned, Felix Ogiele seen beats Vashik Bospisil in round one last night. Denis Shapovalov also through to the second round. Uh, he's in Nadal's quarter. He would actually face Daniil Medvedev in round four. Ogiele seen with the sixth seed though. Shapo's twenty. What are your expectations for Felix? Because he had a pretty strong end to the 2022 campaign. Yeah, I just hope that he can maintain that. I, I mean, based on that, I still see him uh, trending upwards, and I think this might be a time for him to uh, to really step up and take the take the title. I mean, if if it falls, and of course, there's got to be a lot of luck involved, and and I, I think from what I understand, his body is feeling good and uh, his mind is right, and if he can uh, maintain that intensity and that. Oh, that uh, I mean, just great record to, to finish off the season. Uh, if, if he can carry that confidence forward, uh, he can go a very long way. And I'll be, uh, I won't be surprised if he makes it to the finals. But that way, I will not be surprised. He's the highest uh, seed in his little part of the bracket. Then in the, yeah. you know, then next up would be Medvedev or or Nadal. But uh, on the other side, is no Canadians in the uh, men's action today. Novak Djokovic. He's back after his visa vaccination issues in 2022. He's the four seed, but this is his tournament. He's won it so many times. And honestly, as long as he's in a tournament, I'm going to expect him to win it. How, do, how about you? Uh, same thing. I mean, you have to. I mean, the uh, it doesn't look like he ages either. He's one of those guys that gets just, it's unbelievable. The uh, Whatever he's doing, uh, he's doing right as far as uh, training and eating and, and all of those things. And you hit it on the head. Absolutely. If he's in a tournament, if he's in a draw, he's got the chance. He's got the best chance, I think, right now in this stage uh, to, to win that tournament. So, yeah, I mean, I truly, I believe he, even though he's not number one seed, but I truly believe he's the uh, the favorite to win. Any dark horse that we should be uh, the lookout for? Casper Ruud's the two seed. Rublev's the five seed. Medvedev's the seven seed. Down the list, you got Alex Varev, who's back at 12, and Berrettini, who's been to a major final at 13. Anyone in there, or is it really Djokovic? Uh, Djokovic, yeah. Djokovic, I'll, I'll say that for sure. It's, it's again, we probably say this last uh, at the last tournament we talked about, you know, to, to lose, I think. I, I truly do believe that. And dark horses, uh I don't know. I think everybody's been preparing. They've had a month or so off uh, to prepare, so everybody should be fairly fit going into the into this tournament. And uh, that time has given Djokovic time to get fitter and uh, get his his body right and his mind right. So uh, again, it's tough to say that there's a dark horse. I I wouldn't be betting on a dark horse. I'd be honestly betting on him to win it. And of course, we should mention no Carlos Alcaraz at this tournament. He would have been. Uh, the number one had he played, but he's hurt. The U.S. Open champion at 19. It's unfortunate that he's not there. But uh, over to the women's side where Iga Swiatek was so, so dominant in 2022. She is the one seed. Could face Bianca Andreescu in round three. B- Bianca looked pretty good yesterday. Uh, 
Do yeah. you think that Bianca can beat her if it gets to that point later this week? For sure. For sure. She's got the game. I mean, she's proven it. If she's on and everything is, is working in her favor, she can she can absolutely win uh, Beach. I don't think she can win the whole tournament. I mean, she's proven it, obviously, with the U.S. Open. And uh, uh, if it's uh, if it's there for her right now, I think mentally, I, I don't know what her fitness is like, but assuming that she is fit and everything is oh. Okay, in that regard, uh, if she gets it right mentally, uh, she can easily win the whole thing. So I, that's going to be a, a compelling matchup uh, if they do actually wind up playing each other. I, uh, I look forward to watching that one. Other Canadians in action, uh, Leila Fernandez is playing today against Elise Cornet, and uh, the fourth seed, Caroline Garcia, is taking on a Canadian qualifier. So there could be two Canadians in round two, or there could be zero. We'll see what happens there. But... Uh, Overall, in the women's draw, uh, is it is it really Shiantek still to lose? Because as a hard court player, she hasn't really showed as the same level of invincibility as we've seen her on clay. I don't think so. You know, it, it's uh, I, I think it's that number one seed is just number in front of her name. I don't think it's hers to lose. Again, uh, the parity in the women's game. Uh, flip a coin again. There's 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 a handful of players. I up to fifteen, sixteen players. I think in looking at the draw that can that can win. And depending how things open up for for a person. And uh, no, I don't think it's Shuntix to to lose in that respect. I, I think that it's uh, it's very open for on the women's side. Well, from number two all the way down to number fourteen, none of them have ever won a, a Grand Slam singles title before. With Shabur, yeah. Pagula, Garcia, you go down the list, Sabalenka, Sakari, Coco Goff is number seven, which is an yeah. interesting one to watch. Uh, is there any name that kind of jumps to your top, or is it like every time we talk about women's tennis, who the hell knows? <laughs> who the hell knows? I like that. But uh, Pagula's one that's been uh, kind of fascinating. Like each, she's her, I've been following her progression, and each, it seems like she is getting stronger and stronger with each, uh, each tournament, and she's. I think she's there mentally, and I think that she has the physical ability to uh, to win it. So that might, if I'm going to like an outsider that maybe is not an, a known person, a known name, uh, that might be one that I'd, I'd be really interested in, in watching to see how that plays out. But Pagula would be one that, uh, uh, yeah, to me kind of, I think she's going to raise some eyebrows and go very, very deep on seeing semis or, or even final of this tournament. Bills win the Super Bowl. Pagula wins the Australian Open. I mean, this could be a good couple weeks here for for that family. I was just going to say that. The Bills, you know, maybe I don't know how that's impacting her, but that's one thing. But my Niners have to win the Super Bowl, not the Bills, so I'm not going to go there. But uh, as nice as that story would be with the Bills winning, now you have the Niners win it. But, uh, but no, yeah, it's, it's definitely um, it's going to be a fun one to watch. I mean, I... Uh, that's the thing. Just uh, set the PVRs or stay up late and, and watch, but it's going to be very interesting. And I think there will be a lot of surprises along the way. I mean, Kyrgios just pulled out with his uh, with his knee, and uh, uh, I, I thought that might have been an interesting, if he was in the draw, that would have been a very uh, interesting person to, to watch all the way through. So, Speaking of him, I, I watched the first episode of Breakpoint, which is the... Netflix documentary Drive to Survive. If anyone's watched that on Formula One, it was so successful. So they're like, hey, let's do this with other sports. And so they're trying it with tennis and golf. Uh, have you watched it, first of all? 
No, I haven't. So I was going to ask, how do you, what what do you think? What's your thoughts? Is, is it as good as the F1? Because the F1 was, was fantastic. So what, what are your thoughts? Well, the difference for me is that I didn't know anything really about the characters in F1 going in, right? right? So it, it converts people that don't watch into fans, whereas I know most of what's going on in tennis, right? I'm, I'm pretty plugged in. So I watched episode one. It was all about Nick Kyrgios at last year's Australian Open where he won doubles with the Nasi Kokonakis. It was very interesting. Uh, not not a lot that I didn't already know, but in if you're a non-tennis watcher and you, you want to maybe get into tennis, I think this would be a good avenue into it for sure. And, and there's four other episodes I haven't watched yet, but I'm going to get around to it probably after I watch copious amounts of actual tennis in the next couple of weeks. Right, right. Is he the right person, do you think, that they chose for uh, for this? For the series? Well, it's not just him, right? So every episode is going to be someone else, I think. I think Taylor Fritz is in it. Sakari is in it. I, I don't know the full list off the top of my head. But, uh, okay. I mean, he's he's a great character to follow just because in terms of actual characters, tennis doesn't have maybe a, a ton of them. But he's definitely the mercurial guy that a lot of people have very split opinions of. So I'll get around to that. Um, but first, we, we watch a lot of tennis. So just to I'll recap, you think Djokovic, and if you're going to pick a woman, you're going to pick Pagula? I'll go Pagula. Sure. Let's do that. Okay. No, How are you? Okay, what's your... Oh, what's okay. your you, you, don't even, you don't normally ask me. I don't, don't normally have to do this. <laughs> no, I'm asking you. <laughs> I mean, it's hard not to go with Djokovic again. I, I can see Medvedev versus Djokovic in the final. I think that would be probably the odds on... Favorite. I just don't think Nadal's going to hold up. And I'd love to see Felix go on a run. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it for him. Uh, and then on the women's side, yeah, I think this could be Ange Burr, uh, maybe. Because oh, okay. she made the final at Wimbledon. She got really deep at the U.S. Open. She's such a an interesting player. Um, so I think she has a good shot. And I want to see how far Coco Goff goes. Because I think she's getting real close to a breakthrough. So okay. those are two names to watch. And, of course, I'll probably be dead wrong, and they'll be out by tomorrow. But anyway, uh, Mark, appreciate your time as always. Thanks for this. And uh, if anything crazy happens in the course of the next couple of weeks, we'll have you on the show again. Let's talk for sure. I appreciate this, too. Thanks, Christian. Well, thank you very much for listening to the CJOB Sports Show podcast. If you like what you heard, guess what? You can hear more every weeknight on CJOB from 6.30 to 9 p.m., of course. That is when the Jets are not playing, because if the Jets are playing, then I don't have a show, but I'll be part of the pre- and post-game coverage. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Subscribe if you'd like. We're available on iTunes and other places I'd imagine. So farewell, until we meet again. So long and thanks for all the fish. So sad that it should come to this. We try to warn you over the day. You may not share my-